I want to continue our study in Luke 21 this morning on this subject, Good News in Perilous Times. Last week we talked about the subject matter of this chapter, what our Lord was talking about and and why He said the things that He said. He was giving to them a warning First of all, concerning the destruction of Jerusalem. And that came about in 70 A.D. And certain signs and evidences he gave them of the end of time, of the, of the very end, not just the end of the Old Testament age, that typical age, but the end of all things. The destruction of Jerusalem, the temple, and typical worship was both a judgment upon Israel and also the end of a typical age. The days before the coming of Christ were foundational days. The foundation is being laid. Other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid. The Lord laid the foundation. Nothing's going to change. He's going to build something on it. But the foundation is solid. The foundation is not going to change. These were days, foundational days, when the person and work of Christ was set before men and women symbolically in the Lamb. There's no, I don't know, I see, I can't help but see it because it's on display everywhere. And the worst time of year is around Christmas when they start displaying all this stuff. But they, there was lambs involved, goats, bullocks involved in the worship of God in the Old Testament. You don't see that today. Why? Because that typical age has ended. It's ended. The high priest and his annual atonement pictured our Lord in his priestly sacrifice entering into heaven itself and obtaining eternal redemption for us. He did it by his own blood. We, we have no need of a temple. That te- the purpose of that temple is past. It's past. The Lamb offered on the altar pictured the Lamb of God. That's why John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb. Here's the Lamb. This is what the Lamb's all about. Look to Him. Look to Him. Lamb offered on the altar pictured the Lamb of God dying in our room instead. And as it is today, so it was in that day that ignorant men misused, misapplied, and misunderstood the purpose and means of God. They, they included those things in their worship, but they didn't understand them. They misapplied them. Rather than preaching Christ, they preached the law. They were kind of like, they reminded me, I told Yvonne earlier in the week, we were talking about this, this study this morning, and I told her, I said, they remind me of children at Christmas time, little small children. You give them a present and they open it up and they play with a box and take the gift and set it aside. And that's exactly what they did in the Old Testament. They played with the box. The gift... They laid aside. And though they memorized the messianic prophecies, 
yet they looked the Son of Man right in the face and believed not on Him. That this, this can't be the Messiah. This is not the Messiah. Their unbelief did not hinder or weaken or prevent the Lord from doing what He purposed to do. But it did bring about a severe judgment on them. Now we live in what I like to call the gospel age. Christ has come. He's the gospel, isn't he? Christ has come. We're not waiting on him to come. He came. Jesus of Nazareth is God come into the flesh and he's the fulfillment of every messianic prophecy in the Old Testament. It's Christ. He clearly revealed as our Sabbath of rest in Hebrews 4 verse 10. For he that's entered into his rest, he also has ceased from his own works as God did from his. Well, what kind of work can you rest in if it wasn't a, the work of Christ? God himself rested in it. He didn't destroy the world when Adam sinned, though it was polluted and mankind fell. Yet God didn't destroy it. Why? Because He trusted in His Son. He trusted in that redemption that He purposed in His Son. And we as believers enter into that rest. We, and we rest in the same person. And we rest for the same reason. There's rest in Him. He's our rest. And He's clearly set forth as the city of refuge. That's what Paul's doing throughout the book of Hebrews. He, he's showing us symbolically what these things were in the Old Testament and the fulfillment of them in Christ. God's counsel and God's oath concerning His Son and His eternal purpose of grace gives us a strong consolation, Paul said, who have fled for refuge to lay hold on the hope set before us. And Christ is our eternal high priest. He said in Hebrews 7.21, those priests were made without an oath because they were typical priests. The Levitical priesthood. But this, Christ our priest, was made with an oath by him who said unto him, The Lord swear and will not repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was presented in the Scripture as an eternal priest. He had neither beginning of days or end of life. He was without father or mother, without descent, an unchangeable priesthood. And God justly and wisely brought Judaism to an end in 70 A.D. He, it's over. It's over. And yet there's people today still talking about the rebuilding of a temple. They're still talking about holy days and, and, and things that are gone. Things that have already transpired. They're gone. And as I examined the end of these things, I began to see the same thing happening in our day. We preach the person of Christ. We preach His incarnation. God come into the flesh. What's so different about Jesus than any other man? This is God. God and man in one person. 
There's only one in all eternity that you can say that about, and that's Jesus Christ. He's God come into the flesh. He's the God-man. He took not on Him the nature of angels, but the seed of Abraham. The covenant seed. He saith not in the seeds as of many, but His seed, which is Christ. God and man in one glorious union, a representative man, a substitute. When He cometh into the world, He saith, Sacrifice and offering thou wouldest not, but a body hast thou prepared me. And I come to do thy will, O God. And that will is the sacrifice of himself for chosen sinners. You, Paul said, who were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy. <laughs> you can you can't look at yourself in the mirror and say, I'm holy. Huh? You can't do it, can you? But in Christ, you're presented before the Father holy. Consistent in every way with the character of God. Perfect harmony with the character of God. You're holy. That He might present you holy and unblameable Who's going to lay anything to the charge of God's elect? God that justifies. And unreprovable. You can't get any better. I don't know why people talk about this uh, progressive sanctification. You're, you're presented perfect in Christ. You ain't going to get any better than that. That's perfect. We preach His incarnation from glory and His life as a representative man. He made of a woman, made under the law to redeem them that were under the law that we might receive the adoption of children. And by His continual and unbroken obedience, He exalted the law and made it honorable. Actually, the crowning act of His obedience was His death. On the cross. He become obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. And Christ is our righteousness. He's the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. We preach the accomplished redemption of Christ. We're sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Are we sanctified? We are if we're in Christ. Of God are you in Christ who of God has made unto us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. By one offering he hath perfected forever them who are sanctified. Once in the end of the world hath he appeared to put away sin. Has Christ put away sin? He put away all the sins of his elect. He put them away. They don't exist anymore. They've been put away. He died the just for the unjust that He might bring us to God. And then we preach the resurrection of Christ. He was delivered for our offenses, raised again for our justification. What makes you think you're justified? Huh? 
Where's your hope of justification? It's all in Christ. Well, how do I know I'm justified? God raised him from the dead. And then we preach the reign in Christ. For to this end Christ both died and rose and revived that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. There's a man in glory, a man accepted of God, honored of God, seated with God, and wearing the crown of God. And he sits in the highest seat there is. There is no higher seat than where he sits. So what's he doing? He's sitting. That's what he's doing. He's sitting, expecting till his enemies be made his footstool. He's ruling, arranging, controlling all things. This present age in which we live is an age of mercy and grace, an age of forgiveness and reconciliation. And our message concerning the exalted Christ is be ye reconciled to God in Him. Reconciled to the truth concerning who He is. To the revelation of God in Him. To the work He's accomplished. To the work going on right now. To the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But even the days of light and revelation have an end. And that's what our Lord's telling His disciples. The purpose of these verses is to give comfort and assurance to His saints. While this present evil world ought to be terrified at what they now see. You can't help but read the scripture and with a natural eye be terrified by what you see. And what you're going to see. But his people are exhorted to look up. Isn't that what he tells them there in our text? Look up. Lift up your head. How can you do such a thing at the end of the world? For your redemption draweth nigh. Redemption is not so much a thing as it is a person. You remember uh, the conversation between Christ, I think it was Mary or Martha, whichever one he was talking to, and uh, and he, he said, will you believe in the... Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I, we believe in the resurrection. In the last, He said, I am the resurrection. We talk about redemption and we start talking about paying back and settling all accounts and all of that's true. But redemption is a person. That's why his name is Redeemer. We're looking for a person. We ain't looking... We're not looking for a piece of paper that says this, that, and the other. We're looking for a person. A person. Jesus of Nazareth, having performed the will of His Father, sits in glory as our Redeemer. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He redeemed us from our sins, paid the price, settled the debt. But we're still in a sinful body. We're still in a sinful world. We're still surrounded by sinful men. And the worst of it all is sinful religion with Satan at its head. But our great God and Father, because of the salvation accomplished in His Son, has given to us the gift of faith, sealed us with the Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of what is yet to come until 
you read this in Ephesians chapter 1, until the redemption of the purchased possession. He purchased us and the right to enable us to become sons of God. The end of the Levitical priesthood and temple worship was not something to mourn over. He was ushering in something better. And this age, when we see all that's going on around us, we don't want to go home and mourn. He tells us to rejoice. When you see these things, rejoice. For your redemption draws nigh. The clear revelation and declaration of Christ who's all in all. And likewise, the end of this world is not for saints to mourn over. It's, it's ushering in the purpose redemption of every chosen sinner. These mortals, he tells us, shall put on immortality. There's no ifs, ands, or buts. This corruption shall put on incorruption. Death shall be swallowed up in victory. The end is not the end. It's the beginning of something that we can't even identify with except in Christ. A life without sin or any effects of sin. We don't know anything about that. Well, the only place I can see that is in Christ. I don't, I've had sin and dealt with sin and am a sinner and shall be till I die. I don't know what it would be to live without sin, but I sure want to find out, don't you? Oh, life without sin or any effects of sin. And what of this typical world? Did you know this world is typical? Not only was the priesthood typical, and the temple and the tabernacle and all of those stuff's typical of Christ. And we're, we're shown that in the Scripture. But this whole world's typical. Every relationship in this world has no meaning apart from our relationship with Christ and God. Is that right? John said, I saw no temple there. He saw heaven. There wasn't any temple there. God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of, of that city. And the city had no need of the sun, neither the moon. They have a natural um, purpose in this life, but they're typical also. He tells us that the Son of God, He said, You do well. Peter said, uh, you do well to take heed to what's been until the day dawn and the day star, that's the sun, arise in your heart. That's typical of Christ. And so is the moon and so is the stars. All of his preachers he calls stars. This world's typical. said he had no need of the sun, neither the moon to shine in it, for the glory of God did lighten it. And the Lamb is the light thereof. And what about commerce? Those things which we value most in this world is described as commonplace in glory. Streets of gold. You can't imagine such things. I'd be happy with a street without potholes. 
He talking about streets of gold. I, I don't look for literal streets of gold and glory, but what he's telling us is these things that are so valuable to us here are commonplace and glory. Gates of pearl. And what about relationships? Well, there'd be no marriage or given in marriage in heaven. And relationships are created for the sole purpose of identification with Christ. They come and told our Lord, they said, your sister and your mother's out here. What did our Lord say? Who is my sister and my mother? Huh? Whosoever shall do the will of my Father which is in heaven, the same as my brother and sister and mother. And while everything around us serves a natural purpose here, it's just a temporary purpose and it won't reach its creative purpose until Christ comes again and declares the end of time. Then we'll understand what marriage really is about. Uh, we got a taste of it. We have a taste of it. We're sealed. But all we have is a taste. Then we're going to know as we're known. And so he tells us to look up. Verse 28. Look up. Luke 21, verse 28. Don't look within. Don't look around. Look up. Lift up your heads. And this world will be a place of drooping heads as they watch what they value most coming to an end. And with bowing heads they'll cry for the rocks and the mountains to hide them from His face. But not believers. Why? Because their redemption draweth nigh. And we have redemption. We have it in part. We have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. The full debts of my sin have been settled. The infinite justice of God fully satisfied. And He tells us wherein, that is, by way of this redemption, He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of His will. There's a sense in which Christ in His accomplished redemption has redeemed us from our sinful ignorance. Everything God has to say to the sinner is based on the crucifixion of Christ. And even time is relative to Him. We're told to walk circumspectly, not willing to live a risky life, not willing to mix too much world into our daily lives. Now listen, redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. Even time is described with that term redemption. Look up, he said. Lift up your head. And your redemption draweth nigh. Oh my. May the Lord be pleased to encourage us with such promises as these. Everything around you falling apart in <laughs> Falling apart. And the more it falls apart, the more we ought to rejoice. Knowing that our redemption is all in mind. Thank you.